My assignment for this week and for the next few weeks comes from perhaps the greatest known psalm in all the Bible, Psalm 23, Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The scripture says, and you know it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his, his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen? Today we begin a brand new series called The Greatest, and the idea came to me as everybody is debating or has been debating for the last year, who is the greatest NBA player of all time? Is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan? And when everybody was debating that, the Holy Spirit said to me, 23 is really the greatest, Psalm 23. And so it's with that in mind that I want to minister to you from the subject, He is the greatest. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace, by your power, by your anointing. Would you reach through the camera into our campuses and into the airwaves? And to anybody who's watching online, would the Holy Spirit meet with each person here and there? We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. LeBron or Jordan? Let me just give you a few stats, by the way. LeBron, four championships in 18 years. Jordan, six championships in 15 years. LeBron, 14 playoff appearances in 18 years. Jordan, 13 in 15 years. LeBron, 17 all-star games in 18 years. Jordan, 14 in 15 years. LeBron, four MVPs. Jordan, five. LeBron, four finals MVPs. Jordan, six. LeBron, 27 points a game. Jordan, 30 points a game. And the stats go on and on. They're pretty close. But anybody that thinks LeBron was the greatest just never seen Jordan play. I mean, you must be a kid or something like that. Because in order to experience or to know greatness, you've got to experience greatness. And so ESPN, they did this thing called The Last Dance. You all saw it. It was this big thing reminding everybody of how great Jordan was or exposing people to his greatness who never, never saw him play. This is the heart of Psalm 23 and of the series. It's to remind us of how great God is. His greatness is the theme of scripture and it's extolled by David over and over again all throughout the parts of the Bible that David wrote and by many other authors. David is taking an offering to build the temple. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Then in Psalm 47, verse 2, he says, For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 96, verse 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And in the last Psalm, in the book of Psalms, he says, praise him according to his excellent greatness. To experience God, 
is to know that he is great in the truest sense of the word, not in the ordinary way that we talk about greatness. You know, we throw the word great around just just too much. We call everything great. That pizza was great, and that song was great, and that car is great, that vacation spot is great, LeBron is great, Jordan is great, or as Tony the Tiger would say about Frosted Flakes, they're great, right? We talk about all these things as if they are truly great, but when we speak of greatness, we use it to express something that stands out to us. But the greatness of God is not limited to an aspect of him or an isolated incident with him or a certain thing that he does better than something else. The greatness of God is that God is great, period. In every single way, not does great things, but is great. And it's true, he does great things, but but the difference with God is he doesn't just have one little thing that he's great at. He is great. Every part of him is great. There's no weakness in him. There's no thing about him that is inferior to another part of him. All of him is exceptional. All of him is powerful. All of him is transcendent. All of him is expert. All of him is impressive. All of him is impactful. All of him stands out. Not some of him, some of him, not part of him, but all of him is great and none of him is not. Not even the parts of him that we don't understand. Not even the parts of him that we don't like or that we don't comprehend. All of God is great. God's power is great. God's excellence is great. His majesty is great. His wisdom is great. His love is great. His grace is great. His mercy is great. As the old song said, great is his faithfulness. LeBron and Jordan are great basketball people. That's it. None of us is truly great through and through. I'm a great preacher, but I'm not great. I guess that was like a humble brag or something like that. Anyway. There's parts of us that are great, but none of us is truly great. But God is great. And sometimes we need to be reminded of it. And David is doing this in the psalm for us, but he's also doing it for him. Because how many of you know that there are times when we must remind ourselves that God is great? Because life can blur the greatness of God. It can cause us to forget. Pain can cause us to forget. Bitterness and busyness can cause us to forget. Familiarity can cause us to forget. Even the pleasures and indulgences of life can cause us to forget. So David, who has experienced all of the above, is taking time to remind us and to remind himself that this God that we serve is amazingly great. Now, most scholars believe that David wrote this as an older man while he was in the palace looking back on the times when he was a shepherd boy. He sits in the palace and he remembers the place that God has brought him from, from overlooked shepherd boy to shepherd king of the greatest nation on the planet. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just like to take a pause in my life and look back to where God has brought me from and what God has brought me through in life. Has anybody ever done that before and just given God some praise in that moment? God, you brought me through that and that and that and yeah, that too right there. And that should have taken me out. And you gave me a second chance there. And I was weak here, but you made me strong. And I was poor there, but you provided for me. And I was sick there, but you made me healthy. And I was broken there, but you put me back together. Has anybody ever taken a minute in their life? And if you have never done it, I want to encourage you. Take a pause. Just look back. Say, God, look at what you have brought me from. Well, pastor, that's easy for someone like David to say. I mean, he's in a palace after all. 
He was a shepherd boy. I'd be thanking God at that moment too. As if David has never experienced heartache and pain. Sure, he is reflecting on the high moments, the moment when Samuel called him in from the field and anointed him as Israel's next king in the presence of his family. That was a high moment, but it was also a reminder of a painful moment because he was overlooked of all the children. He was outcasted of the family. And so in that moment where he is reflecting on the goodness of God, he is reflecting on the pain that he experienced being rejected and overlooked by his family. And some believe he was an illegitimate child. Of Jesse. And that's why his brothers hated him. Sure, he is reflecting on how God empowered him to defeat Goliath with a slingshot and five smooth stones, which ultimately opened the door for him to be king. But it also opened the door for him to be hunted and hated by Saul, who was jealous of his military might and of the way that God was using him. It reminded him of the days that he had to live in the shadows and hide in a cave for fear of his life because he had no place to lay his head. He's reflecting, I'm sure, on Jonathan and how he was his best friend and how he stepped aside so that David could become king. But that probably reminded him of the pain of losing his best friend in war and having to raise his crippled son as his own. Sure, he reflected on the good life of living in the palace with the privileges of being a king, but also reminded him of the family pain that took place behind cold, behind closed doors and the walls of the palace and how Amnon, one of David's sons, lusted for one of David's daughters, Tamar, and then raped her. And so one of David's other sons, Absalom, got furious with the situation and he killed his brother for doing that. And so David lost a child and he had another child that was furious with him because he wouldn't handle it the way he thought it should so much that David lived estranged from Absalom after losing his son Amnon. And he had to put down a revolt led by Absalom, which resulted in his son Absalom dying. And David lost not just one son, not just two sons, not just one child, not just two children, but three children in his lifetime. And David is now looking back on everything that God has brought him through. And this is a word for somebody because when you look back on your life, you don't just praise him for the promises that he's given you, but you praise him for the pain that he's brought you through and David is looking back and David is saying this God is awesome this God is great we have to remind ourselves of the greatness of almighty God he's great number one because the words of the psalm remind us on how great he is odds are if you aren't a sports fan you knew of none of the stats that I threw out there But odds are, even if you're just a casual Christian, you've heard the words of Psalm 23. Do more beloved words exist, framed and hung in hospital halls, scratched on prison walls, quoted by the young and whispered by the dying. In these lines, sailors have found their harbor. The frightened have found the father. Strugglers have found a friend. And because the passage is so deeply loved, it's so widely known. Can you find ears on which these words have never fallen? Set to music in hundreds of songs, translated into thousands of tongues and domiciled in millions of hearts. And my prayer throughout this series is your heart would be one of those hearts. 
where these words would take eternal refuge and impact you in such a way that you would understand the greatness of God. One author wrote about these words. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of all the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than all the sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching grief, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave more freer than his master and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning, not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go to. These are the words that we are about to delve in. They're words of greatness because they're penned about a God who is great in every single way. And David begins and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Five opening words that remind us why he is the greatest. Number one, he is the greatest. Or number two on your outline, he is the greatest because, listen to the title, he is Lord. Healer, yes, he's that. Provider, he's that. Advocate, yes. Judge, yes. Comforter, yes. Intercessor, yes. Forgiver, yes. Faithful one, yes. Friend, yes. Father, yes. Sovereign king, yes. Savior, yes. But of all of those yeses, David chooses to give him a name. All the others are titles. But in this psalm, we find God's very name. Everything else that I just mentioned describes aspects of God and what God has done and what God does. But David tells us who God is. Something that we forget. He is Lord. What's it mean? He's creator. He's the one who spoke the worlds into existence. He's the one who put the stars in their spot in space. He's the one that planted the sun and the moon in the sky, told the oceans to stay within their boundaries. If you look up on a star-studded night, you'll remember that there are 250 billion times, 250 billion such stars to look at, each one greater than and bigger in size than the sun, which is the smallest, and God put them all there. Look up and remember there are planets beyond this earth that exist, galaxies beyond, and universes which are far greater than our eyes can see. God put them there. He put together the most complex being ever created by grabbing two fistfuls of dirt. You and I. How complex are we? For example, your brain can store a hundred trillion facts. Your mind can handle 15,000 decisions a second. Your nose can smell up to 10,000 different things. Your tongue can taste one part of quinine in two million parts of water. And each of you is still unique. Did you know that DNA molecules can form in an infinite number of ways? The number is 10 to the two billion four hundred millionth. If the, that that means that the likelihood of you ever finding somebody that is just like you does not exist. 
Matter of fact, if you wrote that number down on a piece of paper and each number was one inch thick, that piece of paper would be 37,000 miles long. God created that kind of complexity. He is God. And to think that the most sophisticated, complex design on the earth happened by chance is to deny science probability and reality. And it is amazing when you really talk about science, how quick those who claim to know science fall off the science bandwagon when it comes to Almighty God. To come to the conclusion that the most complex, sophisticated creation happened by stance and not by intelligent design is like discovering a computer and saying that it evolved from a form or a lump of metal. It is incomprehensible to come to that conclusion. David is reminding us about how great God is when he calls him Lord. Something that we must be reminded of. Because in our attempt to have a relationship with God, we pull God down to our level. God is the one who condescended to our level, but let's not forget he is far and away above us. What is particularly interesting to me is this word, Lord, that David uses. David, by the way, devotes the rest of the psalm, 153 words, to describe these two words. The Lord. And then he extols who this Lord is. And basically, David uses this interesting word. He uses this word, Yahweh, to relieve us of the burden of a lesser God. You say, Pastor, what do you mean the burden of a lesser God? See, if all God is to you is healer and all God is to you is provider and all God is to you is sustainer and all God is to you is comforter and all God is to you is advocate, all God is to you is intercessor and all God is to you is friend and all God is to you, Father. When God fails to meet up in our mind's eye to those expectations, he ceases in our mind to really be who he is and that is Lord and God. One of the things we're going to talk about is we really don't get to define who God is. David is saying, God is all those things, every single one of them. And he loves to be all of those things. But God is much, much, much bigger than that. David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Most theologians scholarly believe that Yahweh is the combination of I am and I cause. It was such a holy name that they had to take a bath, the scribes, before they would write it. And then after they wrote it, they would throw away the pen. And so oftentimes in Scripture, they met, they mean to say Yahweh, but they translate or they write Adonai instead because they cannot even pen who God is. It was so holy. I am and I cause. And we're all familiar with the I am portion of God. It's spoken of often. We've heard it from the story of when God and Moses are having a conversation and God speaks to Moses from the burning bush and he tells him to go back and tell Pharaoh to let his people go and Moses is having a hard time with believing that God can still use him after everything that he's done and I just want to just clarify for somebody who may have that same thought in your mind that it's never over with God that God recycles and God gives second chances and oftentimes when people come back from something they come back and do more than people who have never come back from anything They're having a conversation and Moses says to God, Behold, when I come unto the sons of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
If they say to me, what's his name? What should I say to them? And God answered Moses and said, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the sons of Israel, I am. And notice in the translation I'm using here that's up on the screen, Yahweh. No vowels because in Hebrew there aren't any. Yahweh has sent me unto you. I am Yahweh. This is kind of awkward in English, isn't it? Imagine if you just walked into the room. Somebody said, how you doing? And you said, I am. Just paused. They'd probably slap you on the back and say, well, what's the rest of that? You are what? Our I am needs qualification. We must fill in the blank. We must tell people what I am is in reference to us. I am happy. I am sad. I'm rich. I'm poor. I'm anxious. I'm struggling. I'm sick. I'm healthy. I'm weak. I'm strong. I'm right. I'm wrong. If we just say I am, people wonder what we're talking about. But God's I am doesn't need qualification. And the reason is simple because God doesn't change like you and I do. God doesn't have to pronounce he's sad because God's never sad. He's the same all the time. His disposition never changes. His mood never changes. He is the same. He is consistent. He is never changing. And so David is letting us know who God is, that God is this unchanging creator of the universe. And in Psalm 102, verse 27, he defines him or or describes him would be a better way of saying it as this unchanging God. He says, but thou art the same and thy years shall have no end. David is trying to remind himself and us of the greatness of God. He's trying to remind us that he never changes. That healer he was, healer he is. Provider he was, provider he is. Redeemer he was, redeemer he is. Comforter he was, comforter he is. Lover he was, lover he is. Faithful he was, faithful he is. Merciful he was, merciful he is. Friend he was, friend he is. Father he was, father he is. God never, ever, ever, ever changes. God never changes. No matter what you think about him, based on the experiences that you have. See, the enemy wants us to change our opinion of God or what we think about God based on our experiences. And the reason why he wants us to do that is so that we are burdened, therefore, with a lesser God. Because if we don't experience something that God has promised, we, we in our minds, say, well, God's not that. I want you to know You and I do not get to define who God is. I want you to know that the enemy and God both use circumstances to challenge or strengthen your faith. And in life, you will have both set of experiences. You will have the experiences that challenge your faith, and you will have the experiences that strengthen your faith. And the lens that you choose to look through will determine where your faith in who God is stands for the long haul. And so the enemy will come and give you experiences that contradict, for instance, the promises of God and cause you to redefine who God is. But I want to remind you again, we do not get to define God. Who are you that you think you get to define the creator of the universe? We talk about being humble as Christians, but when we try to redefine God based on an experience, somebody needs to ask us the question, who are you? The great 
S.M. Lockridge in a sermon. That's my king said, I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't leave him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him and no one could find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't have him. The grave couldn't hold him. He's my king. He is the creator of all God. The Lord, the great I am. He doesn't change. No matter what we experience in life, he remains steadfast. I don't know about you, but in a world where everything changes, health, relationships, weather, right, wrong, definitions, culture, honor, the economy, respect, security, education, family. I'm glad that Yahweh, who ruled the earth last night, is the same one who rules the earth today. Same conviction, same plan, same mood, same love, same standard, same will, same word, same promises. Because I know that I can lean on him when everything else is unstable in this world. David talked about this kind of God. In so many places in Psalm 61, he said, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto you. When my heart is overwhelmed, listen to what he said. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from my enemy. I know we think well, that our bow or our bay is our rock and that our spouse is our rock and that our friend is our rock and that this is our rock and that is our rock. But I want to tell you that there's only one rock that is higher than you that you can lean on in every situation in life. And that rock is Jesus. And the reason why he's a rock is because he never changes. He's the same. I love what the old song said. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ. The solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Yahweh, I am. David, though, wanted us to know more about who this God was. He said, Yahweh, I am and I cause. Look again at David's words in Psalm 102. They are an explanation of who Yahweh is. But thou art the same and thy years have no end. In science, there is something called the second law of thermodynamics. It is close to its friend, the law of entropy. And basically what it says is that matter and energy are running out. And basically, without going too deep into scientific theory, but this is scientific theory that most people abandon when you talk about God because it doesn't fit their narrative. What that basically means is that the universe and the world that we are living in is decaying. It is coming to an end. Now, why is this so important to know? Because according to scientific theory, anything that has an end must also have a beginning. It is illogical from a scientific perspective to assume that something would end that never had a beginning. But then if something has a beginning according to scientific theory, it must have a beginner. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, who was the beginner? There had to be a beginner. Science won't allow us to assume anything else. And so people have put a beginner into their mind in order to explain away God. And they say the beginning was an uncaused explosion. 
But that is illogical scientifically because you can't have an uncaused beginning unless you have an uncaused beginner. And so the question is, who was that uncaused beginner? And that uncaused beginner was none other than God, Jehovah, Yahweh, whose years have no end. David is trying to tell us, this is the ancient of days I'm talking about. This is the one who was and always will be. This is the one who sparked it all. And notice what he says again. Thou art the same. All thy years have no end. In one sentence, he calls him Yahweh without calling him Yahweh, the unchanging God who caused it all. The unchanging God who caused it all. Now let me just say this and I'm going to close. This is the God that David says is his shepherd. Let let that just marinate with the worship team. Please come. Let that just marinate with you for a moment. He says, this Lord, the I am, the unchanging God, the God that not only gave me the promises, but brought me through the pain. The God that caused it all. The God that put the stars in their place. The God who created the most complex, sophisticated invention of all time, human beings. This God. The God who the earth is his footstool. The God who doesn't allow and need anybody to define him. This God. This God. This God. This God. This Lord. The Lord. Yahweh is my shepherd. I don't have time to really go further because if I go further, I'll go too long. But I want to close by telling you this. This is the Lord who is looking out for you. This is the Lord who is looking over you. This is the Lord who is guiding you. This is the Lord whose life your hands are in. This is the God who is caring for you. This is the Lord that's watching over your children. This is the Lord that will take you through the pain to the palace. This is the Lord that is near to the brokenhearted. This is the God who has a plan for your life. This is the God who loves you with an everlasting love. This is not the God who is not surprised by what you are going through. This is the God who has ordered your steps. This is the God who makes a way of escape. This is the God who has engraved you into the palm of his hands. Here's what David is saying. This Lord, this Lord is my shepherd, my God. I wonder why David wanted to tell us in a song who God was because We miss it so many times. Because we burden ourselves with a lesser God. A God who we try to fit into our paradigms and our boxes. And I understand that God allows us, and we're going to see this as we progress through this psalm. And as you can see, it's going to take us a while because that was just two words. But as we progress through this psalm... We're going to see that even though God allows us to understand him in these little boxes, thank God he's so much bigger than the box. Thank God he's so much bigger than the box. Would you stand on your feet?